Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes, completely eradicating, not just reducing, completely eradicating. I believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for Mondays, not Fridays and get to do their most meaningful work. The aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content, but instead shift the context under which you operate. This podcast is titled Choosing Leadership because that is what leadership is, a choice. In each episode, I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices, which are not always easy and comfortable, but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves, and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership. At the end, I will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast. And with that, let's get started. Darren is a serial entrepreneur and currently the managing director of Kinescope, which is enabling high-quality video embedding and streaming at the lowest prices. In the interview, Darren opens up about his journey from studying law, copywriting to entrepreneurship. He also shared his struggles with mental health, how he was once carried away to emergency after a severe panic attack, and how he has used exercise as a way to keep himself physically and mentally fit. Hi, Darren. Welcome to the Choosing Leadership Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. And to start with, can you start by sharing a little bit of who you are and what do you do? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Darren Dion. I'm Dutch. I live in Emmen at the moment, a small town in, in the Netherlands. I work in tech. At the moment, I'm the managing director for Kinescope, which is a video platform for embedding and streaming. Uh, we serve over 14,000 users, clients in over 40 countries. So we process a lot of video data. I've been an entrepreneur since 2013, 14-ish. Started out as a copywriter and then started doing all kinds of other things. So as you can imagine, since I'm now managing a tech company, besides the tech company, I'm also on the board of the SNN, the, the expert committee actually. What they do is for the northern part of the Netherlands, they give out the innovation subsidies. So I think we have to give around, out around 500 million euros in about five years. So we look at applications from companies that apply for subsidies for research, innovation, that kind of stuff. And then we decide, well, this is a good idea. This is a not so good idea. And then finally, I am on multiple advisory boards for startups. Uh, I invest in startups sometimes. So I also own shares in a few different startups. So that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And can you like take us back from copywriting to entrepreneurship? How did that journey start? What have been some of those driving forces for you? Yeah, yeah sure. No, it was a funny, it's been a funny road. So I used to study law. I didn't finish it actually, but w while I was studying law in, in Groningen, actually, 
I started copywriting and started off as like a hobby, even less than a hobby, more of a joke. So someone asked me that I know, hey, can you translate some text for me? I just translation at first. I'm like, sure, I can translate some text for your website. And this guy was making like feed for, for fish. So he has a like, factory where they make like fish feed. And he had some text he needed translated for his English website, I'm sure. So I finished, uh, I said, well, does it look good? He said, it looks good. What do you want for it? I said, five euros. It was just a joke. So he was happy. And then he said, can you do my entire website? Include all the articles, blogs, whatever, every page. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I can do that. But then I need to ask you like a reasonable amount of money because this is taking up a lot of time. So I did that, translated everything. The client was happy. And then he said, can you also write instead of just translate this? I don't know if I can, but you know what? I will write you something, article, content, blog post, whatever. And if you're happy with it, you pay me. And if you're not happy, you don't. Let's see. So he was happy. He paid me. So then I started writing content for him next to my studies and then got more clients eventually through referrals, through just talking to companies, doing a little sales myself, started to grow. Couldn't keep up with the growth by myself anymore. Started slowly hiring freelancers around me to take care of some work. And then at some point, I think I had 70 or 80 clients in the Netherlands, Belgium, uh, Scandinavia, Hong Kong, a few other places that ordered stuff on a regular basis. So from lots of tech companies actually as well. So that's how I started. And as you can imagine, it got busier and my studies started to suffer. So I had to make a decision. Do I really want to continue studying law or do I want to go on this path entrepreneurship? So I really loved the law. I still do, actually. I thought it was really fun. But being an attorney was not something that really, well, I didn't see myself being an attorney, but definitely because of the corporate culture as well. So I said, no, let's just do this entrepreneurial thing. So I quit my studies, I started doing this full-time. I was already making enough money to do it full-time, so that's, I transitioned into it. Then I went over to a co-working space here in my vicinity. I hadn't heard of the word co-working space. I didn't even know what it was. But a mm-hmm. friend of mine, he said, there's a flexible desk, uh, there's coffee, Wi-Fi, printer, like just one, one invoice per month. Everything is included, no extra cost. I'm like, oh, that sounds nice. I'm sick of working from home. So I went there, I loved it immediately and started working at the co-working space. And then you talk to all kinds of people. So at the co-working space, there, there was it, back then it was a cooperative organization. So it was run by the entrepreneurs itself. So they had like a board made up from the members. And then one day the back then chairman, he said the person taking the notes during the meetings fell out, got sick, whatever. I'm not exactly sure what happened, but he asked me if I could do it. I'm sure I can do it. So I sat there at their board meetings, taking the notes for them, but I couldn't keep my mouth shut. So I started meddling like I was a board member instead of just taking notes. And then after a few months, I was a board member, basically. They said, well, if you keep meddling, why don't you just help out anyway? So I think I was a board member for a year and a half there. And then actually as chairman as well for a year and a half after that. And then at some point, some... Actually, someone that was in the same board as me took over the co-working space. It's actually where I am right now. It's not called the same anymore. This is like the second version of it. And they started running it as a commercial organization. But yeah, during the time at the co-working space, I learned a lot of stuff. So I spoke to a lot of entrepreneurs, tech, accountants, developers, engineers, whatever, all kinds of people. And started to realize I like setting up new stuff. 
and I like tech and startups. And I'm way better in business development. And I don't know why I keep doing this copywriting thing. That's basically what my conclusion was. But we did a bunch of things together with other members. We set up a program where we would help people that were unemployed start for themselves together with local municipality. And I helped set up a company that basically was a combination of an IT bootcamp and a seconding agency. They're called Code Gorilla. They're still out there now. They're doing very well. And that was very fun. We built a device to automatically recognize, scan and recognize trash, basically, and then tell you as a user, like, where you should dump it, like, what kind of bin it goes in to recognize, oh, like, this is metal, this should go in this, this et cetera. So did a lot of stuff. We set up a blockchain lab in the beginning, not for cryptos or anything, but just for technical blockchain developments for governments and for larger organizations that went very well. So setting up all these kind of companies, startups, projects, I really noticed that what I like doing is setting up new things and doing the business development part. So the stage where someone, everybody says, you, you can't do it. It's a stupid idea. That's the stage I like working in. That's what I realized. So I set up a company where I would help startups together with a team in return for either a fee or equity or a combination. It didn't matter. It was basically just what they wanted mentored and coached a lot of startups over the last nine years, I think hundreds and hundreds. But yeah, I do something with a technical part. So, and then at some point I remembered helping someone set up a company here in the Netherlands. And that person is actually the founder of Kinescope where I'm the managing director right now. And then a few years later, he reached out like, Hey, do you want to do this for me? Normally I always say no to these kind of things because I don't like working for somebody. So you know what? Maybe I should give it a chance sometime. So well, I'm not on a payroll. I'm being hired as a freelancer, as a managing director, but uh, it was a big step for me. So for a lot of people, it's very scary to start as an entrepreneur. For me, it was very scary to work for someone. Um, so I'm not formally employed even, but still the idea that I was being hired for a position was very scary for me. But it's been fun. A lot of fun, yeah. actually. I enjoy it. It's, it's a different stage. It's, it's more of a scale-up. Like We process about 10 million hours of video per day, I think, right now. Sorry. Wait, minutes? Hours? Now I forgot. Well, it doesn't matter. And then it's a lot of different countries, lots of different types of challenges, compliance, infrastructure, legal conflicts in other countries. The challenges are very different. Like Managing a scale-up is way different from a startup, uh, but it's fun. I'm learning a lot from it. I still am. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that wonderful journey. So I have a couple of questions, right, around that journey. So from like studying law, mm -hmm. being a freelancer, then to having clients from many different countries, as you said, what have you discovered was some of your skills or strengths that allowed you to hit success there? And then how has that changed your view of yourself, your confidence, your self-belief in doing what you're doing now? That's a very interesting, a very good question, actually. I've never had this one. So I think what I found out, what I was good at is bringing people together. I'm not a specialist. I'm not great at any one thing, maybe business development and sales a little bit. But in general, I know a little bit about everything. So I found out I was good at bringing people together around common ideas and identifying new opportunities. That's something I found out throughout this whole process. And so that allowed me to find opportunity, see an opportunity, and then get the right people together. Because even if I'm not the right person for it, I'll find someone else to do it together with or whatever. I think that's those probably identifying new opportunities and 
binding, finding the right people, teams. I think those are the two most important skills I found out that I have or have a, a talent for and which kind of still are the most important skills for me today, honestly. And what it did for me from in terms of my confidence and just my life in general, I don't worry that much anymore because I know I have a few skills that are valuable in terms of business development, in terms of management, in terms of being an entrepreneur that allow me to make money everywhere with mm -hmm. wherever I go, whenever I always find something to do. I'm always, there will always be someone that needs my skills. So it gave, gives me a lot of confidence because I know I can know I can build a business out of anything. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So given, given where you're right now, what's next for you? Where are you headed? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. So I don't tend to stick around very long at one company. I, I do enjoy this, the work I do with other startups still. So being on these advisory boards, sometimes being an investor as well. So I get involved with them. Yeah, I might at some point start uh, something else or join as a co-founder in a new startup or maybe manage a different company, maybe even a bigger one. I don't know. So at this moment, I have no idea. And that's, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. And has there been one driving factor behind all of these different things that you have done? Freedom. Definitely mm -hmm. freedom and flexibility. I am not a good, I'm not a morning person. I don't wake up in time a lot of times. So I try to, but it's just something I suck at. I don't like being in the office at the same time. I want autonomy. I want freedom. And the only way I could have autonomy and freedom is as an entrepreneur or in like higher executive positions where I can demand those freedoms basically. So it's more of a way to, for me to function in society. So yeah, freedom, that's the biggest driver. I want to be able to do what I do, what I want to do, whenever I want to do it. I don't like people telling me what to do. Yeah. And how does it pan out when you're working in teams, when you are, let's say, advising other teams, how does that individuality or that wanting to be your own person pan out? What challenges does it present? Well, I think the challenges it does present is that they're not that big. Like most of the times you won't see me planning meetings with teams before 10 in the morning. That's it's, there's just, there, it's just small things. And I project my, my desires on the team as well. I think that's something I do consciously and subconsciously. So I will give other people a high degree of freedom, autonomy, flexibility, mm -hmm. and to just care more about output than input. So in the companies, I've had a lot of staff as well. And I always told them, I don't care what you're doing. I'll pay you for eight hours for the day. But if you actually only work two or four, I honestly don't care as long as you provide the results we hire you to do. And that is something that uh, still I project onto people. I still do sometimes, actually a lot of times. And that's not always a good thing. Some people like being or not, but they thrive in an environment where they have clear instructions. So yeah. me projecting my own style into everybody doesn't make sense. So that's something I had to learn to deal with and think not everybody is the same. Yeah. And can you share any example of when that happened and how did you learn? What challenges does it present? Yeah. So I won't name any names, but I've had a few people working for me in the previous company that gets really stressed out by my style because everything, things were not clear enough for them. And they really wanted clear instructions, when to start, what to do, what activities, uh, when to go home. So in the freedom and or actually the lack of clear instructions of what their workday looked like gave them a lot of stress. It didn't give them any enjoyment. They just got really stressed. 
to a point that really started to affect their mental health. So that's what I had to learn. Okay, I should stop projecting what works for me onto everybody else and just talk to people and ask them like, hey, what do you like? Do you, know, do you like me telling you a little bit what we have to do today? So you know, have some structured planning, what the tasks are that need to be done? Or do you, would you rather have me just ask for KPIs, ask for results, ask for outputs, and then give you the space and resources and means to, to do your job? So those are two very different styles, I think. And I think I, at some point I had to learn, actually I had to learn the hard way because it was affecting my team's health, that not everybody works the same. Yeah, thank you for, for sharing that. And as you spoke no about problem. business development and tech also, many people in the tech world either are there because of a love of technology and maybe they are even like introverts and actually pulls them away uh, from normally what we call as business development and sales, right? So how has your relationship with the founders or with the companies that you work with, do you think it gels very well as a complementary skill or do you think it creates stress and friction because of this dynamic? Actually, it's a little bit different even because I have always been introverted, but I'm an introverted mm. person that learned how to be extrovert. But my natural tendency is to go back to being an introvert. So I really had to push myself for years and years to go out there, talk to people, be social. So I think I can connect really easily with introverted people. Uh, I do, I can see when, so for me, it's not an issue anymore. I can do both, but I do see sometimes like very dominant salesy type of people. They get into teams, into organizations and they steamroll everybody around them. They, they get snowed under by their opinions. Yeah. And that really affects a team's dynamic, their enjoyment in work, their performance. So I think there, you do need to, I think for introverted people, sometimes not all of them, but you need to be mindful that they're not being steamrolled, that they can can say what they want to say, what they think, carve out a little space in the meeting for them to hear them. Because else, if you don't, the, all the dominant people, which I will be as well in a meeting, will just roll right over you. And that's not good. Yeah. And can you share a bit more of how did you grow from being an introvert then to being good at business development and sales? Well, I started for myself. So I was forced. So you have to talk to clients. You have to find clients. Yeah. You have to make proposals. So it's not... Yeah, I had no other, you know, if I wanted to make money, I had to mm -hmm. talk to people. Oh, you learn on the job, basically. Yeah. And what advice would you give to somebody like who is struggling with being an introvert and then being a founder, leading sales or leading, creating some big partnerships? I would say not specific tips in terms of how to do sales, but more measure your activity. I think that's the most important one. So if you want to find out how to be good at sales, it, I think it really depends on the kind of company, the value proposition, whatever, how to be good at it yourself. So I think don't think there's a single way to do sales. I think it's different for every type of product. Uh, but what you can do is track your progress. So let's say amount of outreach you're doing a day, uh, amount of replies you get, and then thus also amount that is not replied to, uh, amount that go into a follow-up stage, amount of proposals, and like these standard sales KPIs, yeah. I think you should track them. Even if you don't use any software, you could just do it on paper. Like it's not that difficult. And then you can also kind of start seeing where the gaps are. So let's say you have a high percentage of people that you email or call or do whatever outreach to and that actually reply. But then after reply, it gets stuck. You know, okay, you need to be better at doing follow-ups or, or uh, you need to be better at writing proposals. Or So you can compare yourself or benchmark you to data that's available and see where in the sales process you're not that good. If it's either your first outreach or it's closing the deal. or So I think tracking yourself is important. 
Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think you said it very rightly that there is no one way of doing sales. And especially we are moving away in the last maybe 10 years or so from a very like one-kinded way of sales to more flexible to the introverted and to the techie style. Thank mm -hmm. you for yep. adding that, right? Yeah, so apart from entrepreneurship, apart from work, what else keeps you busy? What else is part of who you are? Oh yeah, good question. Well, I have two cats, pretty short hairs. They take up a lot of my time because I want to. I do, I'm very impulsive in my private life and not always only in my private life. So, so last week, last weekend, not this weekend, but, but the weekend before someone, I was drinking a little bit. Someone asked me like, Hey, let's come over to Valencia. And I'm like, oh, sure. And the next weekend I was in Valencia. So I'm a very impulsive person. So let's go to a party. Let's do this. So I'm always booked to the brim, especially in mm -hmm. my free time. And then besides that, I'm. I, I train very hard. I go to the gym seven days a week, no exceptions. Well, that's not true. Not no exception. If I have a hangover or whatever, sure. But in general, if there's nothing strange, I will go every day, whether I feel like it or I don't. I'm in the gym every day. I used to play a bit of rugby as well, but I injured my knee and I've been recovering for about eight months now. And I need seven more months. So it's a, it was a very bad injury. So I'm probably not going back. Uh, but exercise is a very big part of my life. And it's actually interesting. I got a burnout in 2018. Uh, I was doing way too much uh, in terms of expectations, like things I expected for myself. I personally, this is a bit of a sidestep, but I personally don't think burnout is very, has a lot to do with the hours you work, but more with the pressure you perceive, mm -hmm. the expectations you have of yourself and frustration you have because, for example, if you have a job and your manager is not allowing, doesn't facilitate you in being able to do your job or you're not appreciated. And I think there are a lot of other factors that are way more important in people burning out. But I got a burnout, a pretty bad one. Got pulled to the hospital in an ambulance because they thought I had a heart attack. It wasn't, mm. it was a panic attack. It took me two and a half years to go from nothing to full-time work again. So I didn't really stop working for a long time. I think I started working, well, not really working, but I started going back to the office after a week of three, four, and then just went in for 15 minutes and then I was done. Like I couldn't be around the environment anymore. And next week I could go in for 20 minutes. And so slowly started to build up again until I could do 40 again. And what I noticed, so, so I got this panic disorder from the burnout, which is 99% gone now. But what I noticed is every time I went to the gym, the panic would get less. I would have a better day. So I, I always struggled with motivating myself to go to the gym. But then, you no, know, something like this is such a good motivation. It was just not an issue anymore. So I started out exercising because of, for my mental health, not because of any physique or whatever. And then it turned into a habit that I still have. And now it's not necessary that much anymore for my mental health, at least not the amount I'm training. But uh, it's like brushing my teeth or taking a shower now. It's just something I do every day. Uh, so that's, yeah. I think, exercise is a big part of my life. Very big. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, like just a follow-up question on that. How do you think it help, It contributes or it helps you right now? If the mental health is not the main priority, how does it help you in your day-to-day -day life and work also? Well, I think the exercise does help to get your you get things off your mind. You're solely focused on something very simple, a movement, lifting something, whatever. <laughs> and it helps kind of... Uh, well, how do you say it? Deload from the day and everything that happened. You can also go overboard. So I wouldn't recommend seven days a week like I'm doing, but yeah, I'm a little bit extreme. And of course, it helps with your confidence. I used to be, well, maybe 20 kilos heavier than I am now. And I lost a lot of fat and also gained a lot of muscle. 
and it does it you do feel more confident because of it and it, it does help in daily life as well and you're okay. and of course you're healthier so you can do more yeah. you can withstand more things yes yes and coming on the topic of burnout and mental health this is also what i see from many entrepreneurs that they have very high standards or expectations from themselves and as you said mm -hmm. that can often backfire so what would you would you give to somebody who is on the verge of burnout without even realizing so and it was yeah i always find this a hard question because the problem with people that burn out a lot of times is that they're stubborn so they probably won't listen to any advice i'll give them until they actually have a burnout mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was the same for me and i can say it's not worth it I have a lasting disorder that I still struggle with sometimes. Mm -hmm. It should go away eventually, but it's been five years now and hasn't been gone fully. I think the more important message is work is not that important. I know work, all we do revolves around work, especially if you're in a high-powered position, you're setting up a startup, etc. But honestly, work is not that important as you think, and things don't blow up if you're not there for a week. So... There's a story I can tell. So I I was at home. I got a, started getting pain in my chest. And normally I just ignore any pains because I don't know, that was what I did. But the pain didn't go away. Actually, it went, got much worse. And then my left arm started losing function. So I thought, this is a heart attack. Called the 911, here. Ambulance came. And then my wife, while they were carrying me onto, what's the thing called again? The stretcher. The stretcher? The stretcher? Yeah. While they were calling and pulling me onto the stretcher, I was shaking very heavily. Like I was, was really weird, completely stressed out at a heart rate of 200. It was ridiculous. And the only thing I said, I would look at my wife and said, can you give me my phone? I need to cancel my meetings for tomorrow morning while I was getting pulled on my stretcher. So looking back, I'm like, yeah, I had an issue, I had a big problem. And like, I and don't understand now looking back why I would sacrifice my health that much for my ambitions. Because in the end, it's a marathon. It's mm -hmm. not a sprint. You need to be here in five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years as well. So if you re really want to make it, whatever that means to you, you probably need to find a pace that you can keep doing. Yeah. And then what I did is not worth it because I sometimes still struggle with it. So I know a lot of people who are on the edge of burnout probably won't listen. But uh, yeah, it's not worth it. Also, when I... <laughs> So I got to the hospital, they found, said, I think we think you don't, you're not having a heart attack. You're just having a very severe panic attack, I went back home. And then the first thing I was thinking like, oh, I cannot be out of the office. Everything will go wrong if I'm not there. I need to be there for this. I need to be there for that. And then I didn't go for a few weeks. And honestly, nothing changed. You're not that, that invaluable as you think, honestly. Yeah. Maybe if you're just one person, but people tend to overvalue how important they are. If they function in a team, even if it's just a small team, it's not that important. And that's something I see a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with. They feel like they need to be everywhere. You don't. You actually don't. And honestly, I think a lot of times that mentality is helping you, not helping you. It's causing you to actually have less growth, I think, because you're turning your business into something dependent on you and not on a yeah. system, not on a process. So all these intuitive feelings we have as entrepreneurs we need to work hard be everywhere etc they can actually damage your business so delegate don't care too much and then there's actually a silver lining to this whole burnout thing to be honest i don't care anymore and uh, not that much anymore in a positive sense because i had to go through that to understand what is important in life and i do Work, work is a very big, important part of my life. It still is. It, it's also, it gives me enjoyment and 
it's an important part of my life. I work not just for the money, but because I get value out of it as a person. But there's more than work. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a paradox. I think it's very timely that you shared that. Sometimes by trying to work hard, you can actually make it more difficult for your business. And you can, like, while you are taking value, you can make it difficult for others around you, like for yep. them to take value. And that can stop them uh, from growing and then your business from growing while you're thinking that what else can you do, right? Mm -hmm. It creates a negative pattern. So you also mentioned that you are an investor and an advisor to many startups, right? And you yep. also yep. said that many entrepreneurs are stubborn, so they wouldn't listen. So as an advisor, as an investor, how do you set the right examples? How do you demonstrate something when you see somebody very close to that border? <clears throat> Talk to them. That's, yeah, it's a cliche, but it's the only way. You need to sit down with them, pull them apart, have a serious conversation, show them that you care about them. It's very easy. If I'm an investor and I'm sitting down with some of the founders and I'm telling like, oh, I'm worried about you having a burnout, etc. You need to show them that you actually care and you don't care just about your bottom line, about your investments, because people will feel that if it's just about the money. So I think show people that you genuinely care and just sit down with them. Tell them what you think you see. Tell them, ask them if they feel the same way. And if you could maybe help find a better way, a more stable work-life balance. I don't like this whole grind set weird idea we have right now. You see this stuff too much on social media, like work really hard, grind, whatever, hustle culture. I, I, honestly, just it's ridiculous. It's really ridiculous. You should work smarter, not harder. Absolutely. Thank you, Darren, for sharing everything. I think you have had a wonderful journey. And thank, thank you. you for being so open about the highs as well as the lows. No problem. Uh, and before we end, anybody who's listening wants to reach out or find out more about what you're doing, what is the best way for them to do so? LinkedIn. Just look for Darren. And uh, Dion might be a bit difficult name if you're not Dutch, but uh, you'll find me, Darren Kinescope. Thank you. Thank you, Darren, for everything that you shared and wish you all the best for everything that lies ahead for you. Thank you. You too. That's it. For this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta, I choose leadership every time I record this podcast and I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of, to make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved, and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.